0: Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict.
1: My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict.
0: My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict.
1: And welcome back to Sober
0: Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 21. We're gonna be talking with Jimmy G from Washington, D.C. And he is a member of the CMA Fellowship. No, CMA does not stand for Country Music Awards. This is Crystal Meth Anonymous. Uh, As I've said on the program before, I am also a member of this fellowship. So I'm very excited to talk to to Jimmy about that. Um, I just wanna acknowledge um, we are back from a a week off. Um, We've had some disruptions in our life and at times we have to reprioritize things. And we really apologize for having to skip a week, but we're very excited to be back. So welcome, Jimmy. Um, We're very excited to have you here. Um, And before I have you kick it off with your story, I just want to say congratulations on 15 years of sobriety. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Well, um, I could go
2: on for a long time, but I will give you the condensed version. Hi, I'm Jimmy. I am a crystal meth addict. I'm an alcoholic, and I will attend any meeting that ends with the letter A. And my story starts basically before you kids were even born yet uh, 1986. If you think of Back to the Future, Pee Wee's Playhouse, Um, I was in the military and uh, I just turned uh, 21 years old. And uh, of course, you know that magic number, 21. It opens a lot of doors. And, uh, you know, I I walked into it. And the reasons why I I would do that, there's a lot of reasons, but I'll I'll just give you basically a condensed version. Um, Just two words, fit in, just simply to fit in. Um, I, I didn't use drugs or alcohol growing up. I didn't have any reason to. It didn't interest me at all. I I had fun just as I was. Well, um, after getting into the military, uh, I just started hanging out with, you know, my friends in the ship. Um, I lived down in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, where my my ship was, and um, started going out with, you know, with, with the guys off the ship to the bars. And uh, I I would force myself to drink, you know, alcohol. Um, Didn't really want to, but, you know, I I wanted to fit in with the crowd. And that was my pattern um, that I can trace back to, you know, back to that time. And I I remember getting drunk for the first time. I remember that feeling I got in my forehead, you know, that numbing feeling like, oh, what is this? I don't know what it is, but I like it. And um, that started the train. And uh, she started gaining some speed. And I, I started sper- experimenting with all kinds of alcohol. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, I'm, I'm starting to get kicked out of the club by the, uh, you know, the, the bouncers and security because I'm just a hot mess. I didn't see a problem with it because everybody was doing it. <sighs> Prerequisite being in the military service back then, uh, you know, you work and you drink. And uh, that's what we did. And uh, I continued that for several years. Um, I moved around to different stations in the military and was thinking I was going to change it. Okay, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it differently now. I'm not going to do the same thing I did back then. And, uh, you know, what I found was uh, I, I would just start dancing again, just a different set of dancers. And, uh, you know, that's how I live my life. Oops, I did it again. And uh, so I would just start this, this process all over again. So I I moved to Washington uh, in 1993 and uh, it was, you know, I'm just a small town kid from Texas, you know, uh, population, you know, (laughs) maybe 4,000. Every third person was named Bubba. We worked at, you know, everybody worked at the Walmart and all kinds of stuff. So moving to Washington was a wild experience. Um, There is so many bars here and uh, it's just so, so many people. And I remember um just feeling like a kid in the candy store i um i didn't really know how to act so i just kind of went along with it and drinking would would mask any fears or doubts i had and uh, boy you know i'd get up on that dance floor and just start spinning and everything and, and uh you know i'm tramping through a town at four o'clock in the morning it was just mad mayhem so i retired out of the military And uh, I don't know if you know what this means, but I started working at America Online. Now maybe you kids don't know what that is, but uh, that was the first social media back then uh, in the 90s. Uh, I got my first computer in the 90s in 1994. Cost me like three thousand (laughs) dollars. Oh boy, you know, 56k modem, and uh, you know, you could get into some chat rooms and you could meet people, and uh, you know, why go to the bar where you could just order on a computer? It was great. You know, I loved it. Well, you know, um, I I retired out of the military and um, I I didn't get into drugs until the 21st century. But on my um, 35th birthday in the year 2000, I was up in Canada, Toronto, and uh, I I took a hit at ecstasy and uh, my life turned upside down. I didn't really know what doors I had just walked into, but I knew something was, was going to happen. It was going to be really bad. But I just went along with it. And, you know, I came back to Washington and I started hanging around with different people. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, they're introducing me to all these kinds of uh, different drugs, different letters of the alphabet. And uh finally, a couple of years later, you know the progression changed. Uh, it got so bad where I, I started doing you know uh, methamphetamine and uh, you know I was very Nancy Reagan, you know when I was a younger. just say no. it worked, but uh, you know to to fit in and there's that there's that word again to, to fit in, I started and experimented with drugs. Um, why I needed to fit in I don't know i've I spent years trying to figure that out. Um, <clears throat> it, it takes a long time to to kind of figure out why you do what you do, but um, you know i um, I knew that crystal meth was bad, but t- to fit in i I took my first hit and uh, whew, wow, just like that first pill, I knew that my world had changed well i was thinking about it for three days because I was awake for three days. I didn't eat for three days. Um, Things started to happen. My job became secondary. Like I really didn't want to go to work anymore. I I had things to do. I, uh, you know, I was very busy. Um, Next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm slowly becoming this little part-time dealer, you know, well, I can make a little, a little, Make a little extra money on the side, and uh, you know I can pay for my habit, and it worked. I was I became very popular. Oh, and there's that to fit in again, you know. I started getting power to make or break your weekend, you know. And uh, so then all all I was doing is hang around, you know, drug addicts, you know. Forget the alcoholics, you know. We don't drink alcohol anymore. Honey. We got something better, okay. And uh, methamphetamine and, and all the other drugs were, were, were very satisfying. And just like the readings, you know, in our program say, you know, um, it used to be fun in the very beginning. And I'm not going to lie, it was a lot of fun. And then it wasn't. It became a chore, and it was just absolutely horrible. But I didn't know how to get in, out of it. I really didn't. Um, I used meth for, for two years, and in those two years was absolute, chaos. Um, I was uh, in the verge of losing my apartment, I was getting evicted, I was losing my job, my cars were being repossessed, my credit cards were all maxed out. Uh, I didn't see any way out of it Um, until July of 04 when I finally got arrested. Um, The the police came out to my door uh, on an unrelated issue, actually. So it's actually a higher power moment. Um, they opened the door, you know, because, you know, you're high, you don't care. You just look at the people and you still answer the door anyway. You know, it was the police. Um, and they discovered all the things we had in there and down we went. And I spent that night um, in jail, sitting on the, you know, the floor, contemplating where I had, you know, how did I get here? And, and, you know, where did it all begin? And I traced it all the way back to 1986 to fit in. And it just progressed all of this way to, uh, you know, I started doing math. And uh, so I had no choice but to, you know, check into a, um, a, a program. Um, they said, well, okay, you need to, you know, check into some, you know, uh, drug addiction services. And I didn't want to do that, but you know what? I had no choice. Um, the Court sent some of us, which is in, in our readings. The court sent some of us, and that some of us was me. So um, I checked into an outpatient service here in, in Washington, and um, you know, I, I started meeting other people who were recovering. And then one day they said, uh, "Well, you know, you, um, you need to go to these CMA meetings." And I was like, "Why? You know?" I was like, I, "I'm getting everything I need here." or so I thought, but I really wasn't. Uh, I, mean, I was getting it, but I wasn't getting it. And they said, "You need to go be with your people." I said, "Okay, fine." You know, so um, they gave me the address, and I, I looked up. And um, <clears throat> the meeting, it said closed. Well, it was members only. <laughs> I don't. I can't go to that one. You know, so I didn't go. Um, but the next meeting was on a Friday night, and uh, it said open. I was mad, you know, and um, I, I made every excuse to not go because, OK, it's Friday night. There's not going to be any traffic, uh, uh, any uh, parking because, you know, it's Friday night and everybody's out there. You know, I made every excuse. So I was going to drive around the clubhouse and and see that there was no parking and drive home and then tell them oh, I couldn't go, I couldn't find parking. But I drove up the street where the clubhouse is and uh, right in front of the clubhouse was the only parking space open in the entire area. Well, I don't know if that's a higher power moment or it was a coincidence, but whatever it was, I pulled my car into that spot and I walked up the steps for my very first meeting. And that was in August of 04, 17 years ago. And um, Wow, I've been a member of CMA ever since then, and uh, I had to learn how to be a human being all over again because you know I had totally destroyed myself with the you know with the methamphetamine. It was just absolutely horrible. But I actually walked in and I saw a couple of people I knew, and I was like, okay, well that's why I haven't seen him in a while. You know, these people are actually getting their life back. And, um, so I said, well, you know, maybe there's something to this. So they have these chips, you know, uh, these little blue chips, if you have a desire for a new way of life, would you, you know, like a, you know, 24 hour chip. And of course I was in the back. I didn't want to talk to you. I didn't want to, I didn't, basically didn't want you to see me, you know, but something gave me, uh, you know, the courage to, to get up and, and get that, that 24 hour chip, you know, and, uh. You know, I've, I've still got it here, all my keys, you know, all these years later. It's a, it's a reminder of, you know, where I was and, and, and uh, you know, what I wanted out of this. And that was a new way of life, or at least the ones before I started using and drinking, which kind of dates back to the early 80s. So I was a teenager. But uh, so I actually had to get a new life, uh, one with, uh, with not drinking and using Because I love to get drunk, and I love to get high. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I love it. I just can't do it without consequences. I haven't figured out a way. So I just don't do it. It's easier to say sober than it is to get sober. I've learned that one. Now, um, I checked into a place called uh, Father Martin's Ashley, a a treatment center. It's in Maryland. Um, I was high as a kite. And, uh, you know, I sat in the nurse's station. I was coming down and uh, the nurse, she said, what's wrong, honey? You're in the right place. And I said, I know. That's why I'm crying. I was just defeated. Um, you know, I was broken. Um, and, you know, the, the meetings helped, but I found some stuff that the cops didn't find. And, of course, what are you going to do? You know, I found that barbershop, so I got a haircut. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, so my network sent me to, you know, to Father Martin's, okay, you need to go to treatment, because this outpatient is not enough for you. And they were right. Um, And I I finally just, you know, admitted, okay, send me wherever you need to go. So I did. And that was September the 20th of 2004. And um, I haven't been high since. Now, quite frankly, I should have almost 17 years of recovery, you know, now I do have 17 years of recovery, but not total. Because getting off drugs is is very difficult. Um, or actually, getting sober is getting difficult. And in those early years, you don't really make good decisions. You know, if you don't follow the suggestions that the, the program gives you. So I was just sneaking drinks for the next couple of years. You know, and I'd be at the bar, have some cocktails, and I would be looking around to make sure you know nobody in recovery was in. You know, to see me. Recovery really messes up drinking and using. It really does because it's like a you know it gnaws on you you know and it just yeah and it pisses you off but it also saves your life at the same time. And uh, so I decided uh, in August of 06, 15 years ago, that I had enough. Um, I was drinking on August 12th and uh, I was drinking up on a friend friend of mine's house and I said you know I need to go to the CMA meeting uh, but when I get back, we're going to go out and we're going to have some fun. And I went to the CMA meeting and I sat in the back and uh, they talked about alcohol the entire meeting. Oh, it just made me oh, cringe. So, um, you know, I, I picked up another chip and that was the last one I picked up. And I've been sober ever since. And, uh, you know, I'm just learning how to be in a human being again um it hasn't been you know sunshine lollipops and rainbows every single day but it's definitely much better than i you know was any day out there um i'm just you know i'm a human being now i'm not superman you know nothing like that i'm just clark kent and i'm okay with that uh i don't have to fit in you know like i used to i just simply fit in and that's what my you know voice was telling me that i don't fit in but i do and I had to learn that now, you know? Um, thank you for inviting me to this. Um, I, you know, I love it. I've heard a couple of your, um, you know, your podcasts and, and I know that you do this for you as well as for you know, the greater good. And so uh, I applaud each and every one of you for doing what you're doing. So uh, thank you for having me today.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Jimmy. That was, that was great. And, you know, having 15 years of continued sobriety and being in the programs for 17 years, I'm sure that you have many more stories and a lot more insight (laughs) than, than we had time for tonight. Um, and I know you personally and I've gotten to hear your, your story. So, you know, it's, it's been really great to have you on tonight. Um, you know, I, I identified with a lot, um, especially that that feeling of not fitting in and that desire to fit in and doing whatever i could to have these people around me regardless of the fact that they were drug dealers and you know people who i would not associate with today you know but i had people around me and Growing up, I was always bouncing around to different groups of people because I never wanted to be alone. And the last thing that you were talking about that hit me was I've found my people now. In the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the rooms of Crystal Meth Anonymous, I found my people and I never have to feel that feeling of not fitting in again because now I fit in. And I just fit in with a group of people who are working strong programs and really trying to live a life that aligns with a sober journey. So it's, it's really wonderful. Um, you know, I, I said this on the program too, and I, I really get it. I love to get high, I love to drink too. You know, and if I didn't say that, I'd be lying. And now I have this group of people in the program that I fit in with. I have people in my life around me that I feel like I fit in, that I just have these people who are also on this road to recovery with that get what I'm doing. And so I don't think that I'll ever have that feeling of not fitting in again, um, which which is really, really wonderful. So... You know, thank you so much
1: again for being here, and uh, I'll see if the guys have any questions. Like Jason said, you've you've had a good amount of time, so I'm sure you could have talked for an hour. So oh yeah, absolutely. For, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned that CMA is your primary fellowship, and for our listeners, we've been trying to expand and not just specifically talk about AA or NA or whatever, but. Do you think you can expand on, I guess, uh, what CMA is and how it differentiates from other fellowships?
2: It's basically, methamphetamine is, it's a strange puppy. It's like the the worst of the worst. I mean, it it scrambles your brain. And sometimes when you go to other fellowships, the stuff that comes out of your mouth is like what did he say? They don't understand our language. It really don't. I mean, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, which we we call the mothership. You know, we wouldn't be here if it, you know, weren't for Dr. Bob and and, and Bill. Um, but crystal meth is it's it's really hard to explain. It, it really is. But simply we needed our own fellowship so that we could understand each other and in 1994 that came to be in in los angeles when they had their first cma meeting and um, you know a lot of people like why do you need your own fellowship you know well after you listen to you know like oh that's why <laughs> they just don't understand you know it, it's it's a level of crazy that uh, you really don't want to get into and for for people that have, I've never done math. Good. Okay, you keep it that way. Okay, keep it that. you keep it not yet. That's what you need to do. Is stay not yet. So um, yeah, we definitely needed our own fellowship uh, because it's it's you know if you're talking like um, in, in the universe, we're out in the delta quadrant. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think Jason said it well, you know, you he found his people. Right. And, you know, the more you can relate to other people's stories, the more and identify, the more you'll listen. And the more we listen, the more we learn. Um, you know, I get a lot of comments and questions about terminology we use. And there was something you said, you said a closed meeting. And I, you know, I am I and uh, Ben and I, you know, Jason know what that means, but can you just uh, expand on that? Because a lot of our viewers don't really know the terminology that we use.
2: Yeah. Well, like I say, I didn't know it either. You know, it said on the sheet, it was a closed meeting. So I just thought it was for, um, you know, members only, you know, maybe you had to sign a membership plan or something like that. But what it means is like, it's only for those that identify as a crystal meth addict. So that way, People can talk amongst themselves. Now, if you have an open meeting, you could have like a family member come in, you can have a, a friend who, you know, supports you, uh, a caregiver. Uh, we've had even like nurses will come in and say, Listen, may I sit in and listen, you know, so I can kind of understand this? And absolutely, this is an open meeting, you know, but for sometimes, like maybe the, um, the sex and relationships meeting. You know that's a closed meeting because sometimes it can get a little um intimate you know and and private and so you don't really want to share that with maybe like a nurse or a caregiver or a judge or a police officer or something like that you know so those remain closed just for people who are struggling with that particular uh drug or you know whatever they're they're struggling with so uh yeah open and closed. i i didn't know what that meant either but uh you know i now know and i'm glad that that friday meeting was an open meeting because that's the only reason why i went because i didn't think it was for members only i could go up there
1: well i'm a member (laughs) i'm definitely a member yeah thank you you know uh, i'll turn it over to ben a second but one thing you said that i love is you know when i joined Uh, one of the hard things that I struggled with was I'm I kind of lost my religious sense and you know I would say I'm more spiritual but I love that like divine intervention you you know that parking spot you have and every uh, guest we have just they all have you know this same like hey if you don't believe it well here's another you know example here's another example so Mm -hmm. Thank you for that one.
2: (laughs) Sure. We're all spiritual beings on a human journey you know, and I firmly believe that I'm, I'm not religious at all now. Of course I went to church when I was a kid, of course. Um, and my mom said, well, don't you want to go to church? Don't you want to be with, you know, know?" I was like, you don't understand. I I get that from AA and NA and, you know, I get the same thing you do, the fellowship, you know, the, the spiritual aspects. So she doesn't really understand it, but I said, that's my church. And, uh, I I totally get it. I've had experience, you know, experiences that I, I just can't explain. And, uh, you know, I don't have to, I just let them happen.
3: Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on tonight. And it's funny. I'm laughing so much because we could not be more different. And there are so many things that when you say them, it's like, I've heard that, but like, like my, my sponsors always says, uh, you stay in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. You know, all these sayings, they're just, you know, and another thing that you said that it was just so, it, you had to learn how to be a human being again. And that's what these programs teach us is that there' somebody put it so simple, stay sober, be an adult. Like that's it. And it's like, oh, shit. Um, but you know, what I've we've kind of touched on with a lot of our guests is getting an idea of what their recovery looked like during the pandemic, you know, the four of us got sober in the midst of the pandemic. So when like we came out, like, you know, I, I didn't, I got out of rehab on a Monday. I didn't go to a meeting until Saturday. Cause I was texting Jason and Chris, like my life was still a mess. And Jason was like, Hey, get into a meeting right now. And he sent me this link. And that's been my home group ever since. And I haven't left. And like, so, and and I can't say how many times I've heard from people like, oh, I don't know how you got sober in a pandemic. Like for me, like I'm like, I don't I can't imagine having to find one single parking spot and walk up the steps yeah. and humble myself like that. So, you know, what what does your recovery look like in the pandemic?
2: Oh, I love Zoom babies. You know, I love the people that got sober in the pandemic and jumped to Zoom. DC CMA, we actually We thrived during the pandemic. We jumped immediately into the virtual world, you know. Uh, Zoom has been an amazing lifesaver. We have three meetings a day on Zoom. We had an 8 a.m. check-in meeting every single day. Come in, tell us how you're doing. And quite frankly, we just thought it was going to be maybe five or six people just jumping in. We had people all over the world check in to that meeting, you know. And we've met so many people from other countries and uh, different cities, and I have new friends that were forged out of the pandemic that I could not live without. I wish we could have, you know, the millions of people that have died because of this disease, but there's always silver linings to any tragedy And, and these new friendships that I have, these new relationships. I wouldn't trade for the world, you know, so I'll take any silver lining I can. And so I I thrived and, and uh, you know, I've got my little virtual background with my little you know sunset. I love it, you know, and uh, you know, when I was feeling lonely, I just opened my computer, jumped onto a meeting that was a meeting any hour, any city, any time frame. And boom, there it is. And uh, yeah. And, and quite frankly, with the Delta variant coming, I, I think we're coming back here, and so, but I'm prepared to you know to deal with that because I did it last year. I can do it this year.
0: You know, Jimmy, I I am having the um, the wonderful opportunity to speak at the New York CMA Share a Day conference coming up in October. Um, and if you told me that that was going to be an opportunity for me, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, I would have slapped you in the face. Um, You know, because I was so deep in my addiction and I'd been to CMA meetings before and um, I I think it was because I didn't wanna be there, I didn't feel like I fit in, but when I gave it that shot, I knew that I was with my people, um, like I was talking about before. And, you know, you you talked about relapses being part of your story. Relapse is definitely a, a big part of my story. And I've heard people within the rooms of CMA talk about how high the rate of relapse is for CMA. Can you share about your experience with that? Do you, do you have a sense of that? Um, why would that be? Do you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, they
2: say there's only like 2% of us that actually get off of it. You know, I'm very grateful, but I'm part of that 2%. Um, it, it, I think it stems from, What's really going on in your life? You know, why do you run to this drug? And, and quite frankly, there's a number of reasons. Um, broken families, you know, a, a broken childhood, uh, sexual molestation as a child, you know, uh, all of those play a factor. You know, um, abuse, child abuse, you know, uh, or maybe even adult abuse. There's so many reasons, you know, why people do what they do. And you can trace it back you know, okay, what have you not dealt with? And I get that a lot, you know, you know, what's really going on in your life. And when they finally identify why they're, they're running all the time, then they can get off the drug. But if you're still holding back reservations as something that happened, maybe, you know, when you were seven years old, or even when you were 40 years old, you know, you're going to run to, you need that escape. And, uh, My escape was was definitely, uh, you know, (laughs) it was not an escape, it was a pair of handcuffs and a a felony possession charge. So, um, those are the things that keep me from going back because, you know, if I go back, I'll go instantly to where I was. And that was like that extensive, horrible life living in the fast lane, staying up for a whole week, not eating, sleeping, everything. Uh, I'm too old for that stuff. I'm 56 years old. I love morning coffee and CNN, and uh, I couldn't trade that anything for the world. So um, but yeah, it's 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 unresolved issues, I think. And that's the majority of the, of the you know things that we have to face with the, you know, the the rapid relapse that we have going on. It's, it's horrible, but it does happen. And, and so, you know, we as the people that got off of it need to be there. and to support those who are struggling. And, uh, you know, try to get them off of it. It's, it's dangerous. It's a horrible drug to get. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Um, but you can do it. I'm living proof. Trust me. Uh, if I, I, I can feel do that. it, anybody can do it.
0: <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I am, I am living proof. And, you know, that's something that I have reflected on a lot over the last year is that, you know, if I can do it, I, I've been at this for 10 years. It took me 10 years to get sober. And I didn't do it perfect. I don't think there is such thing as a perfect program, but I I got here because I had that willingness finally. I was desperate enough that I was finally willing to do whatever it took to get sober.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is sad. And I, you know, it's funny looking at, you know, you three and especially you jimmy i mean i i don't look at you and see someone who did crystal meth and you know that's just uh this stereotype that i have in my head i don't look at myself and see the person that was three years ago and it's just it just shows you that like like you guys said you are living proof but You know, you mentioned going back. One thing that I kind of like asking a lot of our guests with uh, extended periods, extended time, is if you were to go back to yourself with a year of sobriety or just when you started, because we do try to focus on early recovery in this podcast, what would you, what would your advice be to your, you know, yourself when you just started the program?
2: Just take it easy, it's gonna be okay. Um I thought that my world was going to come to an end. And basically it, it actually was. It was coming to an end. Um I I'd lost everything. I they they placed me into a um um a recovery home in the suburbs of Virginia and I, I didn't have anything but just the contents of a you know backpack. <laughs> I, I you know, they had to give me some uh, you know, some sheets and bedding and stuff like that. Um I had lost everything. They threw everything out in the streets. So all I can say is that, you know, um, just hold on because your life isn't over. And actually, it's about to get better. I didn't have any hope when I got here. I really didn't. I was so beaten and defeated and broken. But uh, I was picked up and scooped up and, you know, put into recovery. And that's where it saved my life. And, uh, you know, I didn't really start feeling like a human being until like three years later. Like in 2007, you know, three years after I stopped doing math, that's when I finally started feeling like a human being again. And I remember telling somebody, I was like, you know, I'm just now starting to feel like a human. And uh, so it, it took a long time. That that brain was Swiss cheese, scrambled eggs and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I did a number on myself. Even streets, you know, like that. I've, I've been on these roads for, you know, 20 years. Sometimes I had a hard time figuring out, where exactly is that place? I couldn't remember. My brain was so twisted. So they just said, easy does it, one day at a time, and you'll get through it. And I did, because I bought a little GPS to get me
0: around town. (laughs) 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 Whatever it takes. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Jimmy, so much for tonight. We truly appreciate your time. And congratulations again on your anniversary. Thank you. Thanks guys. All right. Have a great night, Jimmy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Good night.
1: That was great. You know, I, I honestly, until I met you Jason or a couple of people at rehab, never really got introduced to crystal meth or knew anybody or even had a remote discussion. But it is crazy when you talk to people that were on it, just Although it's the same in the misery of addiction, the stories that I hear are just insane. Like people stay up literally for a week. I could barely stay up for 20 straight hours and I get exhausted. But it's just this different, crazy lifestyle. And, you know, you were mentioning before people use it for weight loss. People use it to study. People use it to it's just it's a uh, scary drug. It really is. It really is. And one thing
0: that he said that when he was hearing about people saying, oh, I've never done that, don't. That's my that's my message to you. Yeah, do you, you not said that do a it a number of times. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a hell of a drug. It is a hell of a drug. It will it will ensnare you with all of these beautiful things like all of this fun, adventurous. You get to stay up and, you know, work for three days straight on a project that you've been trying to get done. No, you're cracked out. You are cracked out. It is not pretty. It's not pretty at all.
3: Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to Jason in the chat during the episode, and I appreciate you trying to prop me up there and, and give me and give me the boost to ask another question. But I was listening to him, and it was one of those episodes where I was listening because, to your point, Chris, like, I didn't know a damn thing about crystal meth before I met you, Jason, in, in rehab. And... So, and this has really been my only other exposure to it. And so, but to hear the A sayings and even the reverence that, you know, these offshoot, um, you know, recovery programs have, you know, they're based in 12 steps. And I really, really, like, it just clicked for me that, you know, I remember being a newcomer in rehab and hearing, oh, okay, this is, this, this girl is telling my story, like, we to, to completely different details, but it's the same feelings. And even you know, go through rehab and then get out, and then you know, still not go to a meeting. It wasn't until I got into the rooms that it was. Oh wait, these are my people. This these, they're telling now. They're telling the details of my story. And you know, when or when I tell a story, and and you see people on Zoom shaking their head, going, "Yep, yep," and know that. And so for something like you know, crystal meth or cocaine or pornography or gambling, like to have an, an, a specific group. And I related so much to what he said about IOP, or, you know, the, being in an outpatient program and getting it, but, you know, being pushed to go, okay, you get it here, but you need to get it with everybody else that you know relates to you so it was just one of those episodes where i knew i was gonna, i wanted to start i was going to ask him a question about the you know i'm assuming he was in the navy talk about norfolk and the service and i was like nope 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 nope
0: i'm just gonna stop <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's it's so true because there are times where i'll have a uh, crystal meth craving And there are AA meetings, not so much now, and not so much with Zoom, but there have been meetings that I've attended that they're like, you cannot talk about drugs. And in that moment, I need to talk about drugs. And I need to be around the people that understand what it's like to be up for three days and have these wild, crazy stories. And if I tell a story like that in an AA meeting, some people will be like, yeah, I can, I understand that. And I can identify with the feelings and whatnot. But then when I go to a CMA meeting, they're like, I've done that. Mm -hmm. Or, or that's it. Like, you know, so it's, it's really (laughs) that identification, you know, that's, that's really interesting.
3: Yeah. I I mean, I think it just kind of goes back to the, you know, what I hope we're doing with this podcast and that, you know, kind of just showing people that as long as you recover, and i get i get why you know when we talk about you know old timers and who are stuck in their ways and we've all heard the stories like you know so i understand that that you know that reverence yes exactly with the, yeah, don't don't you tell about my zoom you know but i understand that reverence for it because it's like you, you want to hold on to it because it's you, you, life got so good when when we got sober and it was like all oh, right we got to stay right here don't don't talk about your 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 crystal meth in, in my AA meeting, but you know this and and, and it's it, I think this podcast is you know achieving one of those goals of just kind of cross blending it and listen it's about being sober and being an adult be staying sober and having your shit together.
1: That's did you it. two? Did you two read like thesaurus uh, toilet paper today? You know we got uh, ensnare and reverence both back to back. I like it. You didn't get your role? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I would just say instead of ensnare, like to trap. But you know, we won't get into that. But um, no, what I what I also related to is it doesn't always happen right away. I mean, Jason, like, you know, you said it takes, it took you, I I forget what you said, six, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. Right. For me. I mean, I'm not even at year one, but I'm getting there, but slowly. And you know, I'm on like year six of trying this. Right. And Ben, you know, you're doing great. Um, but for most people i mean especially that's a crazy stat if that's true two percent i mean that's just scary but but he is living proof that you can recover and i think you know we all are living proof that no one used today right so it is possible to recover
0: and and the thing is is that you know i i've heard a lot of people when i was living in new york saying it's really hard to get sober in new york well he lives in washington dc Pat we had on lives in New York. It's really about willingness. I found crystal meth in Grand Forks, North Dakota. If I can find it there, I can find it anywhere. Is,
1: if is I can that even find a place? Like, it, is, that, it is, it is. I, was like, saying, I don't think I could
3: find Grand Forks, North Dakota, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Never my crystal meth in there. And with, and with a population of 14. <laughs> yeah,
0: six of them were dealers actually. <laughs> but the thing is, is that if I can find it anywhere, I can get sober anywhere. And, and that's the that's the real message, you know, so before we before we wrap up tonight, I do want to just plug the New York City CMA conference that's happening. It's happening on Saturday, October 9th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Tickets are on sale. A suggested donation of twenty five dollars and you can register online at NYCMA.org. Well, thanks, boys. It was a great uh, episode tonight. I was trying to use a big word for Chris, but it just can't roll off the t- off my tongue tonight. Um, as always, our episode is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a good night, guys. Have a great night. Have a good night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We wanna hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to Podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.